Welcome to Thrive Radio, expert visionary and innovative business, life, and relationship advice to live a life of doing the impossible with your host, Amy Montgomery. This is episode number 24 with The Profit Fixer. Welcome to Thrive Radio. I'm your host, Amy Montgomery, entrepreneur and business coach, and I've decided to bring on other successful entrepreneurs to share their story and how they are helping others to thrive. Today's my guest, Christine Nicholson, mentor, author, and founder of The Profit Fixer. She is a seasoned entrepreneur who has built multiple businesses. Her background in accounting, law, and information systems has forged the way for her to be able to solve the pressing issues most businesses face to help them create higher profits. Welcome, Christine. Hi, Amy, and thank you for having me. I am really excited to have you on because I really believe that a lot of the people that listen to my podcast are really going to be able to resonate with your journey and your story and the things that you have to offer. Let's start with your journey. How would you describe your entrepreneurial journey? Okay, I'm, I'm quite typical of an entrepreneur in that I think a lot of people are accidental entrepreneurs. So they're forced into a set of circumstances that then makes them start to think very differently. So I was made redundant having um, worked for a family owned company for about five years. And I actually wrote my own redundancy check. I switched the light out I was the last person out of the door and I locked the door. You know, we'd, we'd sold everything. And then I was literally stood there on the doorstep thinking, now what am I going to do? And through the sale process, I had met lots and lots of lawyers, one of whom was um, having to find something to reinvest his money in. So he'd, he'd had a successful exit. And, and here in the UK, there's some real big tax breaks if you take some money out of an investment and then immediately reinvest it, or there's a, there's a particular time frame. So he was on the clock to find something to invest in. And he literally asked me while I was at a loose end to do a feasibility study. And so I did the feasibility study, no intention of going and running that business. I just said, here's a good idea. Here's the business model. Um, here's how you get started. And, and actually found, you know, the way to get started. And he went, yeah, great, uh, let's go. Uh, and I'm like, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, well let, let's go on with it. And, um, uh, but it did mean that I had to go and find other investors. So, you know, with one investor behind me saying, what's the hold up, let's get going. Um, it gave me a lot more confidence. So having never done this before, I went out, got some more investors. Then I went to the bank and I just said, um, without any security whatsoever, please can you lend me six million pounds, which at the time would have been about eight million dollars, probably probably near nine million dollars actually. Um, And of course this was pre-crash, so they went, yay, where do we send the money to? (laughs) (laughs) And so that, that got me starting my first company. I put some of my own money in, got other people to put their money in, and then just and before I knew it, I was running a company with 400 plus employees and multi-million pound turnover and working 100 hour weeks and, you know, all the things that I'm sure that some of your listeners will experience. And, and, and don't worry about the millions because that's just zeros. And at the end of the day, it, 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 
all of the problems I experienced then are the same as if someone's doing $45,000 or, or $450,000 or $4.5 million. It's just a matter of scale. Wow. What is the most difficult decision you've had to make in building your, the business that you have now? Because I, you know, you've really had a lot of experience and I know this is kind of a loaded question because you know how many businesses you've done and, and the success yeah. you've had. Yeah. Over the years, since the very first business, which completely burned me out and I sold myself out of that. And that business is still going, by the way. It's, uh, it's still very successful. And I did a number of other businesses that just kind of the timing was right. So I didn't really have to think about it. I just kind of, we already had the ideas that I could articulate to other people that created demand. So for many years, and I've been doing this for 25 years now, but for many years, I just went from one business idea and then sold it and then built another business up and then sold it without really having to think too hard about um, about the me in the business because uh, the business is always about something else and then one day I actually got approached by someone who said I'd like you to come and work with me on my business and just help me make that business better for a period of time and then when you've got it on the on your feet on its feet or you know we've improved the profitability then you know just come in quick fix and then leave and so that all of a sudden I was started to operate and the business was about me because that person then referred me to another um, business and that re they referred me to another business. So for 15, best part of 15 years, I have been operating entirely on referral and it's been without me thinking about it, it's been about me. So when I set up the, my consultancy um, a couple of years ago, it, I then had to start thinking that it was me that was marketing myself rather than the business. And um, that uh, the biggest challenge was actually getting over myself. You know, I, I know what I'm doing because I've set up businesses. I've set up really big businesses. I've borrowed a extreme amount of money in some cases. And I've made some people, including myself, you know, I've made millions of people. But that was always about whatever we were delivering, you know, that product or the service that was delivering and there was a big team. Now it's just me. I mean, I've got a small team of sort of, I call them freelancers. You know, I've got my virtual team, but not, none of them are full time. But fundamentally, the business is me. You know, when I go out to network and, and people say, what do you do? Well, I have to say that it's, I come into your business and I make the changes. So what you're buying is my skills and knowledge. And so the biggest problem for me has been making sure that I get that message straight because they're buying effectively me. And that, that, um, that's been a real challenge uh, in, in getting that initial message off. You know, I'm, I'm relatively egoless, so... And I'm not one of those people, uh, despite what I'm saying right now, <laughs> I'm not one of those people who blows her own trumpet. It's almost like I talk about these things as if it wasn't me doing them, but it was. <laughs> but I have real difficulty saying it was me who did that. <laughs> yeah. So the, the part of it is the ego. Yeah, I can so relate with that too. I, mm. And I think, I'm, you know, I'm sure a lot of people can. 
I think of some of my background and working at a big four and all of this and you're working on these large accounts and yeah, there's millions of dollars that are in front of you and you don't think about it and you do the work and it's great. And you don't realize, I think sometimes what you're doing, (laughs) you just get it all done. And you also have this kind of cocoon around you when you're in a bigger company, you're so much part of this bigger team that when you pull out of it and you're just on your own, then, you know, things like having, especially if you work from home, I mean, just the getting up and going to work, well, nobody tells you to do that at X o'clock in the morning. Whereas, and there's, it's very easy to lose your drive, uh, particularly if things don't quite go the way that you want them to. You know, if you put something out there and it's not particularly well received, then it's easy to say, oh, you know, people don't like me or I'm not giving the right, the right message or I'm not worthy. And, and, and then you can get into that whole spiral of doom. And I see people doing it all the time. I mean, I have coping mechanisms right now, but I see people doing it all the time. So for me personally, it, it was about me being in the business. But the biggest problem that I see in businesses in general is managing the cash flow. In fact, I spoke to, to somebody today. So I'm interviewing people now for my third book. So, and I only asked two questions. What was your biggest business challenge and how did you overcome it? And firstly, I am amazed that some pretty famous people have been, one, willing to just get on the phone to a complete stranger. And two, the extraordinary depth that they'll go into in their story. And the woman I spoke to this morning were saying, you know, it's all about cash flow. She said, you, you, you know, you leave your big corporate job and for the first year you're kind of self-funded and you're, you're like as keen as mustard and, you know, you get out of bed every day going, I'm just going to make it a bit better than yesterday. And you haven't been driven down by any sense of rejection. But as you start to invest all of your personal money in getting this thing off the ground, then actually you then start to see this dwindling bank account and you really worry about when you're going to be able to top that up. So of course, then that kind of stress response starts in your head, which makes you start to behave differently. So you then start to stop spending money on what perhaps you should be spending on because you stop seeing it as an investment because your savings are going down. And if you're the breadwinner, that's another extraordinary pressure on you. And at the same time, you've probably not really got a grip on your numbers anyway, and right at the very beginning, you've got all this, this enthusiasm. So the first thing you go and do is you go and buy branded notebooks and branded pens and branded mugs. And you know you've spent $5,000 of your hard-earned cash that probably could get you through another month when you start to run out of money. Yeah. Um, so, so right at the beginning, you do spend the, the money on the wrong thing. Uh, and of course, then you, you start to experience cash flow problems, which it completely changes your mindset. And then it changes your behavior, which changes your perception when you're out in the market. And worse still, it changes people's perception of you. Because the more desperate you appear, the harder it is for you to put out any credibility. And the less enthusiasm you have, the less energy you bring to any particular set of circumstances. And all of a sudden, particularly with me, because I'm a problem solver, you know, I'm a proper troubleshooter. If I can't bring confidence and energy to bear when people are sharing their problems with me, then I haven't got a business. And many, many other people who are in consulting, speaking, 
you know, coaching roles, for example, or they're selling themselves, selling their services, are in those situations. And it's really sad because something as, as important as managing cash can, can actually destroy their businesses. And it's the same in product businesses as well. So many of the businesses that I've gone to work with where I've actually rescued them from virtual bankruptcy, and it's all because of two things, not enough cash in the bank. And the reason why there's not enough cash in the bank is because the business owners didn't have a, a cold grip of the numbers and knowing when to stop spending, what to invest in, when to stop hiring, when to start firing, uh, because they can't make the, the decisions on the basis of clear data. Yeah, that's really key. What you just said is making the decisions based off of the data. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, like I, I have seen that so much where people will be stuck on making a, a very important business decision of, that will make or break their business. And the data is telling them exactly what to do. Yes. But they don't listen to it because then all this other stuff comes in their mind. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's really powerful. Yeah, and, and many business owners think that they can't do things. You know, I can't fire that person because they've been with me since the start. Well, you can, you can. Yeah. and sometimes you probably should. Yeah. They really have these barriers, or I can't do that, and you know, I can't do that because. And and what they really mean is, I don't want to do that because it makes me feel uncomfortable, and I I I don't feel like I've got justifiable evidence. I don't have the the wherewithal to justify that decision. If I make that decision, it's on gut feel. Uh, I don't have anything to support it. Yeah. So what are you most grateful for in your current business? Oh, actually, that's really easy. I have some great clients. So first of all, it would have to be clients because they're great and they have great problems. And I'm not saying that these are problems that are easy to fix, but there's a, a relatively simple roadmap to fixing things. I mean, I always ask people in business seven questions and, and they're always around, you know, have you got a plan? So what planning have you got? Have you got the right people doing the right things? Are you creating the right margin to generate cash? Do you really know your numbers so that you can make the decisions in your business? So those are the five obvious, obvious things. And then the other two questions are always, what relationship do you have with your business? Because depending on how you feel about your business, not, not your products, because most people feel you know, that that's how they started their business. So they feel pretty strongly about the services or products, but the actual business itself, they start to have a diminished relationship with that. And particularly because question seven is, what impact does that have on your family? So you put them all things together and, and, and the two sank of what I call soft questions, the relationship and impact questions are actually really hard questions because those two things can have such an impact on your business that it can color, even if you've got the data to make the decisions, it can color your overall perception. So, so definitely my clients and also because I've got such good clients who have such great problems, it's enabled me to write two books because literally my two books are about the problems that my clients experience and, and just solving them. And my third book is already, uh, you know, it's, it's currently being written and it's purely about people's business challenges and how they overcame them. 
And I already got my fourth book being structured because I work a lot with tech. I'm actually going to write my fourth book, which may get completed before the third book, purely about the problems in the tech, in the tech industry experiences. So most businesses are actually relatively the same. You know, there's a platform, you know, you hire some people, you get them to do some stuff, you get them to do, deliver things to their customers, you send your customers some, uh, an invoice, they pay you the money, you pay your suppliers and you pay your staff. So it's kind of that, that kind of circle, the circle of activity one way, circle of cash the other. Within tech, there are spe- specific personality traits amongst founders that, ha- that have a particular layer of problems that I, and it is going to um, direct my, my fourth book, uh, or well, book three or book four. Can't decide <laughs> that's really incredible. Yeah, but my clients, because my clients are so amazing, they they um they mm-hmm. they allow me. They you know they're, they're a rich source of material. <laughs> um, so Friday is normally my book writing day, and it, and I all you know all I need to do is journal what happened this week. <laughs> it's really great. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. Along those lines, what are some of the common problems that you've seen entrepreneurs face, and how have you been able to help them jump those hurdles? I have my favorite one. So this is the one where so I'm going to choose the one that had the biggest impact. But I went into an organization. So I was working directly with the, with the, the business owner who, who owned the business but didn't work in the business. So that was fat because that gave me real insight from an inside the business perspective. Also really allowed me to work from an external perspective. And he said, go and I've got this business in, and, and it's, you know, really cutting edge tech. It's amazing technology, which it was. He said, and we're doing three and a half, four million, probably maybe even do five million this year turnover. And I think this thing could explode. And I just want you to get in there and get it on the trajectory to get 50 million. Because at that point, I've got an exit plan. And the exit plan was actually quite sophisticated. So, so I get in there and uh, it, it actually pretty much around about this time of year, it was, it, it might actually have been, have been a similar date to today. Fairly early on, in October, uh, on a Tuesday, I went in at 10 o'clock in the morning and I thought, right, well, I need to get to grips with the numbers. I haven't got any year-end numbers done for 18 months. And if I'm going to do a growth plan, I need to know where they are now. So... I hunted around to try and find on, on this particular PC, it was quite a few years ago, uh, where they had their accounts. Anyway, it was all a complete mess. So I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll just gather everything up uh, and try and make sense, even if I had to do a bit of wet finger in the air about where we are. And I discovered this drawer and it was full of unopened bills. And basically the previous accountant, when he couldn't afford to pay someone, he just didn't record the invoice on the accounting system. He just used to put it in a drawer. Oh, my. I know. And, uh, <laughs> most people, you know, this, this is the classic, you know, I can't pay my electricity bill, so I'll just stick it under the doormat type of stuff. Anyway, when I finally finished opening all these envelopes and everything, they were in a lot of debt. So instead of going to the shareholder and the exec team saying, right, here's the plan for the 50 million turnover, I had to go and say, here's the plan for bankruptcy rescue now uh, over a a very short period of time and this is over an 18 month period of time we had to really right at the very beginning we had to set this strategy for how we would 
rescue ourselves. Well, the first thing is we had to figure out how we were going to pay people. We had a sales pipeline that was, frankly, a bit ropey. We had way too many staff with R&D staff coming out of our ears, and they were all on vanity projects. So we actually decided that if we had a lifeboat and we could only put five people in the lifeboat, who would be the five people that we would put in the lifeboat? So we picked five members of staff that if push came to shove, we could run that business with those five members of staff. And then from there, we looked at the numbers, what we would have to do to be able to support the five members of staff. And then we actually expanded. We realized that we could, we could sell our way out of this. We expanded that number to 14. But we took that business from 53 to 14 people. Wow. We decimated the R&D department, which most people wouldn't do, but we invested in sales. And we looked at how the sales team worked. And what we realized was the sales team were going out to our customers and they were saying, got this great product for you. But I tell you what, in 18 months time, it's going to be freaking awesome. So they were going, hmm, okay, we'll buy in 18 months time. So we had to, we had to figure out a way of actually generating some sales immediately. And we did that by saying, right, we've got this amazing product. You need it now. And in 18 months time, we'll take that product away and give you a new product at the new product price, less the price of this. So it generated some immediate cash and pushed back. Uh, I mean, we still had some tail problems in terms of that, that whole swap out, which when we did exit the business had to be very carefully managed. We started off by selling what was available now about living within our means. We did a deep dive on our overheads and immediately, I mean, literally overnight, we cut the overheads by 25%. And that was before we cut the headcount. We went to our landlord. We had, we, we had all these people. We had all this space and we literally went to our landlord and said, we don't want to come across as this being very hard, but ultimately, if we don't offload some of this property, we're going to go bankrupt and then you're going to be left with this massive debt. We don't want to leave you like that, so help us. And then we moved into a tiny little piece of the overall property that we were occupying and helped the landlord get new tenants in, for which he was ultimately very, very grateful. And then we, when we looked at R&D, we actually looked at the products that we were producing and discovered how many vanity projects there were. So to make the decision about what we would continue uh, developing shock horror we went to our customers and we asked them seriously nobody had ever gone to the customers before and asked them and just to give you an example one of the products that we had what the user interface was a like a laptop um, with a touch screen for the activity that they were using this for so the customers were all law enforcement and and security services and for when these guys were operating and using this piece of equipment, sometimes they would find that they would have to stop the operation like dead, like now. And our piece of equipment took about five minutes to power down. Well, that was five minutes where all these guys were doing was trying to power down this equipment when they could have been doing something else. So when we asked them, they said, well, what's the biggest thing that we could do to make our, our stuff better? And they said, well, we're often in vans. So this is probably secret spy stuff. Yeah. We're often in vans, in the back of vans with no heating. So we're covered with all the coats and everything and we've got big gloves on. And then we're operating a touch screen 
And all we want is a big red button somewhere on that screen so that when we need to stop, we stop and it stops in 10 seconds. It took us 15 minutes to do. Oh, wow. And all of a sudden now sales are easier because this thing that took a tiny amount of time is really valuable to the people who need it. It was as simple as that. We literally, we took them for tea and biscuits. (laughs) And we asked asked them what they wanted and they told us. And it was really easy. It's so easy to get into that mindset too of, you know, what can we do, you know, and what can we create and, and all of this when, you know, nobody is asking your customers and your clients, you know, what you, what they want. Yeah. It's so easy to do. Yeah. Uh, Particularly in tech where the guys that you employ, and and when I say guy, I mean, uh, that's fairly gender neutral, but the people that you employ are, you know, they're this, this close to the screen, for example. Uh, I mean, I always used to joke that I could have walked through that office naked and not one of them would have batted an eyelid. Although actually they probably would have said, Hmm, must be cold today, or you know. <laughs> so, so, but that that would have been as far as it uh, as far as it got. And and as a result of all that, you know, asking our customers, selling what's available now, cutting our headcount, and being completely obsessed by our our overheads and our margins, we went from being in a sizable amount of debt to exiting that business for an eight-figure exit within 18 months and having two and a half million pounds of cash in the bank that went straight back to the shareholder. I mean, immediately, straight wow. back. Wow. So it, it, was, um, it was the most stressful 18 months of my life. <laughs> but but the, the, you know, the, the, you know, if you think about it as a seesaw, the tilt from being down to being up was extraordinary. That's amazing. You have a tool on your website, yourprofitscore.com, and you also have a book around this. How has your online tool helped owners to focus on the right things and solve their problems? And if you can tell a little bit about your book and how it helps people fast track their business, that would be awesome as well. Great. So the tool is actually, it literally just asks you the seven questions of, do you have a plan? Do you know your numbers? Uh, Do you have a grip of your cash flow? Uh, do you have systems in your business? Do you have the right people in your business? What, what's the relationship with your business and what's the impact on your family? And it asks you to score those out of 12. And there's four, for each question, there's four statements. Um, so you just score yourself according to which statement is kind of the nearest to how you feel. So, so the thing about the scorecard is it's really about how you feel rather than cold, hard facts. Because you know, I can say to you, do you have the right people in your business? Well, that, that from a, if you, if you wasn't asking about the feeling, um, then they could go, well, you know, and then overanalyze it. Whereas if I just ask you, how you, do you have the right people in your business? How do you feel about that? Then they either feel like they haven't, or they feel like they have, or they feel like they're getting there. And um, so it's much easier for them to uh, assess themselves. And I can't believe I'm using the word feeling so much because like I am not, a, you know, I am known as the no expletive lady. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm very aware that your audience might not be um, as um, receptive to some English industrial language. So I'm being very careful. But, you know, I just say I just say it as it, as it is. And um, so the fact that I'm sat here talking about how people feel is a bit alien to me. But that's what the scorecard does. 
And then what it does is, out of the seven questions, you can clearly see, it gives you a little visual representation of, of your score. So it's a bit, like, a bit like a circle, and you can see where the biggest dent in the circle is. That's where you've got your biggest problem. So very quickly, whereas people can think about the symptoms in their business and not be very clear about what the problem is, with the scorecard, what it allows you to do is, is really identify the, the, your subconsciously weakest point of the business and therefore what needs to be addressed first. Because if it's about not delivering consistency of service, then that's, that's a problem with your systems. You know, if it's the fact that your staff, you have difficulty recruiting or you have difficulty keeping your staff, then that's a, that's a people problem. Now, uh, it might be a symptom of the fact that you haven't got proper systems and people don't feel empowered. But if that's the weakest point, then we'll start looking at the people and why you feel that way. The same with cash. I mean, to be honest, out of all the scorecards, usually the biggest one, the most common problem is it's a low score on the, on the grip of cash flow. And then usually that's very shortly followed by I don't have the information to make the decisions. Once or twice I've had people who, you know, they've, they've got a really bad relationship with their business. And sadly, that can get really, really bad. And all it is, is that they're doing the wrong job in their business. Because just because they own the business doesn't mean so they have to be the MD, for example. But they don't think that, you know, well, surely I've got to be the MD. I own the business, you know. Um, so it does help them with things like that. And the book is structured all around the scorecard. So it literally takes each of the questions and tells you why the question's important. What you can do to get to being at the top end of the score so the you know for the ideal life you'd be able to disappear off for three or six months and your business would still run itself for example and now to do that you'd have to have the right people doing the right things you'd have to have a war chest of, of cash or, or know that your cash flow is flowing without you with you know there's there's no resistance or no friction to the way that cash flows into your business because you're you're selling the right services with the right margins and you've got all the data to be able to make the appropriate decisions so that if you are away and something does need to be attended to, you know, I know that you guys over there have just had um, one of the most powerful hurricanes, for example, in Hurricane Michael. It's just swept through Florida and Georgia. You know, if you were leaving your business for three to six months and your business is in Georgia, for example, then it doesn't matter how equipped your business is, you are going to want to know that everybody is all right, that, that you can start making decisions about any changes that need to be um, made there. And if you've got the, the, um, the management information to do that, you can do that from anywhere in the world. So the book really goes into some depth. Again, I like my first book, Five Minute Finance, which was written in five minute chunks. My second book, which is What's Your Profit Score, actually is really easy to read. You can read it all in less than an afternoon. It's about a two two hour two and a half hour read and each of the sections is actually designed to be read in between 30 and 40 minutes and it doesn't it not only helps you diagnose your problem actually gives you some of the solutions to the problems and all in like I say in a really easy easy read for that book, The Five Minute Finance, what's one way that it's made it easier for business owners? Do you have somebody that's purchased that book and really had a breakthrough? Yeah, well, The Five Minute Finance has been fantastic because I wrote that book for a client. So I had a client who, you know, the number of business owners who say, oh, I'm rubbish at maths or I don't do numbers or, you know, they just don't stick. 
Um, that is a load of baloney. Because if you can read and write, and you don't even have to read and write that well, that well. If you can read and write, you can do numbers. Because numbers are just a character in the same way that an ABC is. Then, you know, ABC, A to Z, zero to nine, they're just extensions of the A, a to Z. And, and once you get your head around the fact that this is just a language that has been dressed up by, uh, and I am an accountant, but I don't work accountant in practice, but they, it's a language that's been dressed up by people who want to charge you more fees and make it seem more complicated because then that's them in the club and you're outside. And if you just, from a mental attitude, if you can just get past the, it's about numbers, it's not about numbers, it's about information. And, and the numbers are just part of the data. So, so finance literally demystifies the language of finance. It takes out all the, all the jargon and explains to you exactly what everything means. So whether you're a business owner or a student or somebody who works in business that has to manage budgets or just somebody who has to sit in finance meetings or any meeting and doesn't want to look silly, then um, by asking a stupid question, of which there are no such thing as stupid questions, there's being stupid by not asking the question, but there's no thing as, as um, asking a stupid question. And so Five Minute Finance does all of that. It just, it just demystifies the entire uh, language of um, finance and, and management accounts. And, it, and by the same theme, the profit score does exactly the same. So the client that I wrote it for has doubled his turnover. <laughs> got a grip of all his numbers, uh, knows exactly what his ROI is now on all of his marketing spend. If he wants to buy a piece of equipment now, he knows exactly what he has to, what that piece of equipment has to do in his business to generate the level of ROI that he finds acceptable. And the best thing is he understands what ROI means. So he's not scared by any of that, that language. And that's actually allowed him to make decisions and, and make more positive decisions and feel good about those decisions rather than living in fear, which, um, and the, you know, my, my uh, what's your profit score hasn't actually even been released yet. I literally loaded it onto Kindle today. Um, but the, the guys that I gave it to proofread, they all said, oh my God, I didn't, I never really thought of the way that my business all works together. You know, uh, that I can address one bit of it because that's the weakest bit. So what it's helped them do is, again, make decisions, decide where they need help and where they don't and some of the steps that they can take so that they don't make the decisions in the wrong, the wrong way around. So I do want to mention for those that are listening that your book is on Amazon and the five minute finance book. Yes. And I will link that on my website and the podcast as well. And when you get your one that you're just releasing now, I'll put that on there as well. And uh, your YouTube is uh, Christine Nicholson, and that will be linked on my website. Yes, well, thank you. If you'd like to take a diagnosis test of your business, you can go to yourprofitscore.com. Your website is theprofitfixer.co.uk. I yes. do have one last question for you. Yeah, sure. If you're able to give your one, yourself one piece of advice when you first started out as an entrepreneur, what would it be? Believe in yourself because you can do it. And, and I would say that to a lot of people. 
And I'll qualify that as well, because some people go into businesses that they should never go into. But if you've done all the research and you're really passionate about about it and you know you can sustain that passion and you're willing to keep on learning, then jump now because most really successful business owners start before they're ready. And if you don't get started now then you, and you put it off till tomorrow, that's a whole day where you've not learned. Because it's a bit like, I, I don't know if you drive, and I'm sure that many of your, your listeners drive. If you think about when you learn to drive, you didn't really learn about driving until you passed your test. So from getting into the car for the first time to passing your test, that was more a war of attrition. It was more of a, you know, getting comfortable just getting behind the wheel and, and you know, knowing how hard you could be put your foot on the gas and knowing how hard you needed to brake without smashing your nose against the windscreen. But the minute that you're past your test and you've got your driver's license and you're free, then you really start to learn. And it's the same with business. Just get out of your own way, believe in yourself and do it. And don't delay, just do it. That's great. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. It's been, it's been wonderful. Well, thank you for listening to me ramble on a bit. I do, um, I quite often lose the thread of what I'm talking about. And then I go off on my own little soapbox. Um, but, uh, but I am really passionate about businesses. And I, and I just know there's a lot of business owners out there who could be having a much better life if they had the right direction. And, and it, it's only a tiny little bit of help that they need. And sometimes it's actually only asking a question and then getting the answer that reassures them that they're doing the right thing yeah. or just tells them that, that something that they're thinking of doing, they can do it or whoa, 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 no, you absolutely should not do that. If I have an impact on just one person for, for the positive in any day, I just think that my day has been great. So, um, so hopefully anybody who's been listening has just got something out of what I've said, but it's been a real pleasure. You, you, you're, you feed my soul just allowing me to talk about this stuff. <laughs> I think it's great. And um, I wanted to mention if you're listening, again, if you want to visit Christine's website, it's theprofitfixer.co.uk. And if you want more information about this podcast, you can go to a calltothrive.com. Thank you everyone for listening and have a wonderful week. Thank you.